Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. Probably we could say it's getting harder all the time. My name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, a ministry that provides support and encouragement to uh, those who are in ministry, who are struggling, who are in crisis, who are navigating difficult things, who are perhaps just wanting to talk. Um, so just to encourage you to check us out on our website, www.fruitfulvineministry.com. Hey, I have a question that I want to try to answer today, maybe a couple questions. Uh, this will certainly be more reflective. I don't know if we can really, uh, really specifically answer these questions with a lot of confidence. But what is happening to the church during COVID or because of COVID? What, what will happen to the church uh, what is the church going to be like? We're, we're hearing a lot of things today. In fact, there's a Barna study that suggested that uh, one in five churches will close because of COVID. Uh, Barna also anticipates in one of their researches that one in three Christians will lock, likely stop attending church or probably already have. And uh, it comes to no surprise that, that according to Thomas Rayner, a significant number of pastors plan to quit post uh, to quit after uh, the COVID season. Just a lot of discouragement. In fact, I've had a number of pastors who have had to process this. In fact, if you you'll look at our website, I wrote a blog entitled "An Open Letter uh, to the Pastor Who's Thinking About Quitting." Um, I'm seeing a lot of family and friends who are struggling getting back to church. Why? Uh, one theory I have is that it's working for them. Uh, people can maintain a level of spiritual vibrancy. They're not messing up. It's, it's working just fine. Um, but I hope from our conversation today with Eddie Cole that this podcast doesn't just explain things, but also brings us back to the value of church. I, I think one of the benefits of a season like this is uh, perhaps we have a, a revisit a good theology of what church is, why church matters, why it's so important, even though it's messy, even though it's not... Uh, the way we like it to be, we still have this high theology, a high view of church. That's one of the things I really hope comes out of this podcast. Um, well, here's what this podcast is about. Um, I uh, met, talked with a friend who is uh, director of a ministry called Reach Global. It's the missionary arm of the Evangelical Free Church. And we talked about these things that I'm musing with you right now. And uh, he referred to me, uh, referred me to a friend of his, uh, Eddie Cole, who leads the church ministry side of the Evangelical Church, uh, because my friend Brian had suggested that uh, uh, Eddie was burdened about these things, had been looking into it with their particular association. Let me just t- uh, share br- real briefly who Eddie is, and then we'll jump into that conversation with him. Uh, since 2019, Eddie has served as the executive vice president, president of national ministries with the Even- Evangelical Free Church of America. Prior to that, uh, he spent 24 years in vocational ministry, serving first as a local pastor, so he understands what the pastorate is like, and then as a district superintendent for the Eastern District. Eddie and his wife, Jessica, love to support pastors and leaders as they pursue a mission to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. I love that. And I know that um, you will really enjoy and benefit from this conversation that I have with Eddie Cole. Let's jump into that right now. Okay, I have the privilege to be talking to someone in Minnesota, right? Yep. 
Mm-hmm. All right, Eddie, Eddie Cole, you are uh, in leadership, church leadership, uh, even a denomination, or, or you'll probably describe it more as a, as a fellowship. Uh, but uh, it's great to have you on in the Before You Quit podcast today, Eddie. Thanks for your time, taking the time mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what, we got connected through a common friend, and the, one of the things we talked about was the, uh, you know, what, what pastoring and leadership will look like, uh, is looking at like during COVID and also post-COVID. And uh, he mentioned that uh, you were burdened for this and also as a leader with Evangelical Free Church, uh, uh, you know, you're observing something. So that's what, that's what the topic's going to be today is uh, how will the church survive COVID? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we know it will, but there's a yeah. lot of fear and uncertainty right now. Uh, yeah. So we're going to get into that, but help us to just briefly uh, get to know who you are and also how you landed uh, where you are right now. Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up in East Tennessee and uh, met the Lord as a young adult and um, ended up going to Liberty University, uh, where I, I only knew of two Christian schools back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, one was down near Chattanooga, and they didn't have a great sports program. And there was a young man that grew up across the street from me that went and played football at Liberty. So that's how I was aware of Liberty. <laughs> okay. Okay. You played football there or another sport? Oh, no. Oh, no. It just, you I just needed to know. Yeah. I, I needed okay. to know if there was some sports at a college if I was going to go. I got you. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I joined, I joined a small college so I could play on a team knowing that if it was a large <laughs> college that would not have worked out. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. I, uh, I, so I went, I ended up at Liberty where I met my wife and, uh, and, uh, we were married, uh, and began ministry down in East Tennessee at my home church. Uh, for a couple of years, I had been in and out of ministry there. Uh, I was just really blessed to be uh, born again in a church that was experiencing what you could describe as a genuine revival. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, and so as I was walking into this new life um, and growing in the Lord, I was just volunteering here and there, wherever there, there was a need as I was growing and they were, you know, they were inviting me, I, I would say yes, basically. Mm-hmm. So when I was finishing uh, my first year of uh, seminary, I was invited to go back and become the youth pastor, which was good timing because I was wanting to get married and I needed to have a little money. I needed to have <laughs> a job. Uh, my father-in-law th- thought that would be important. And so uh, we got married. I went back. And um, went there and just did a, uh, youth work and whatever kind of other ministry that was uh, the need of the hour. And uh, primarily youth work because their youth pastor at, at my home church had resigned. Mm-hmm. And uh, so did that for a couple of years and knew that my heart was really more bent toward the preaching and teaching side. It was really a blend of, of preaching, teaching and evangelism always uh, because of coming to Christ at a young age have had a heart for mission and just this, this passion to help other people know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so um, my wife and I went to Alabama and it was while we were down there in Talladega, Alabama in a rural church that God made it clear to us that we were to be involved in a, uh, a church planting movement 
uh, in a part of the country or a part of the world that was going to be uh, about church planting and taking the gospel uh, to people who didn't have access to it in the same way that I had seen that down south. And, um, and so that led us on a journey back through school. And that, uh, that was where I met, um, was invited to go join the pastoral campus, pastoral staff at Liberty and, um, did that. And while I was there, uh, I met a young man that grew up in Staten Island, New York, which is one of the five boroughs of New York city. And he was from an evangelical free church. The only way I knew of the evangelical free church was the name Chuck Swindoll. Mm-hmm. I, I reading those little captions on the back of his book that said EV free Fuller. Oh, I, I forgot that he was part of that. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So I yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's helpful for people to, to have context there, you know, with the, cause it's not a, it's, it is more of a fellowship, isn't it? And I don't, I don't want to get too uh, caught in the weeds here. Uh, well, let, let's, again, I know we, we've got, um, you know, so much to talk about here. So you pastored, you pastored after that and then ended up uh, where, where you are now. Tell, tell us what you're doing now. And yeah, so then I let's, pastored uh, in New York for the, about 13 years. Mm-hmm. Went from being a, a, a local church pastor to, which was basically a turnaround church. Mm-hmm. Uh, revitalization is probably a better word. It wasn't a turnaround. Uh, but basically went from there to being a district superintendent for the Eastern District of the Evangelical Free Church. Uh, the Evangelical Free Church is an association of like-minded churches. Yeah. Come together for mission and their, you know, shared statement of faith. Uh, we've got about 1,600 churches nationwide, uh, 1,600 congregations, excuse me, let me get the terminology mm. right. Because <laughs> now we're, we're counting multi-campus and church and and things like that, which matters to Mm -hmm. uh, guys that do work like I do. Uh, But uh, we've got about 1,600 of those across the country. And um, I was invited to do that basically from about halfway up the state of New York all the way down through the state of Virginia. And so that covered a large region, about 43 million people and uh, 140 churches. And it gave me that opportunity to expand the, the, outreach, the mission for church planting, mm-hmm. and helping existing churches live well and lead well. And so that that idea of living well and leading well is essentially what will enable them to be able to multiply. And that was really my, my uh, passion. And so the, uh, we retooled the Eastern District along those lines, and then uh, I knew the kind of the ground was moving under my feet and the president of the free church was praying with me and began looking for someone to fill this role, asked me to do it. So I, 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 instead of going back to a local church or a Mm -hmm. church plant, which is what I thought would be next, Mm -hmm. uh, I stepped into this role. And so I've been a vice president, executive vice president for national ministries um, for the last year. And uh, our our common friend is Brian Duggan, and he's with the uh, the Reach Global, which is the mission arm of that same yeah. uh, fellowship. Um, so let, let's go ahead and, and move into this this topic that uh, burdens us. Uh, it's a it's a needed topic right now. Um, I I didn't ask you this or or put this on the on the guide that I sent you, but 
I can imagine for the, those of you in leadership like yourself in, in any movement, uh, leading through this, leading through COVID, uh, has got to be very challenging. What what has been uh, what's it been like for you leading through COVID? Yeah, it's um, it's been you know, particularly when you're a pastoral, you know, natured person. You know, some some yeah. people that end up in leadership do so because they're administrative and yeah that's that's what and so they're probably more than happy not being around people <laughs> but a lot of leaders are pastoral and this, this yeah. has got to be hard yeah i i need both and if i got to do with less of either it would be less administrative so yeah. yes i'm definitely yeah. one of those but uh it really it has it has been a challenge uh especially because we're not a denomination and the difference the distinction is an association like ours uh, our local churches are autonomous, mm-hmm. so they they are engaged at will. Um, if they are in line with our statement of faith and are in you know um, in good faith partnering with us, um, that's the threshold. You know they, uh, but we don't tell them from Minneapolis, which is where the headquarters. Um, is we don't tell them what to do. We have no control over their budget. We have no control over how they do their ministry. Um, everything is by relationship and influence. So that that so, that would that would lend to being potentially being more isolated from people as well. Um, so yeah. is it a combination of people looking to you for support and you being proactive with with your guys and Making sure they're okay, and mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely does, Mitch. You have to be that way, and so the biggest challenge, as you were mentioning, we ha- is is having to pivot from, you know, doing a ton of travel, a ton of convening, getting people together, building relationships, deepening our sense of shared uh, faith and shared mission. Uh, to saying we can't travel, and our our way of convening now is virtual, which yeah. just isn't the same. Yeah. Um, even though we're very grateful for it, very very grateful for it. Thank God for Zoom. Thank God for uh, Teams. Thank God for FaceTime. But mm. it's just not the same. It's not as free flowing the hours uh, of meeting, it's just, you know, you've experienced it. We all have now. The challenges are just different. And so we had to pivot and say, how do we do this well? How do we do it wisely? Uh, And how do we equip ourselves even with the technology to do it? And so we've had plenty of challenges. And so, uh, yeah, it was just a retooling. Yeah. One of the things I've heard from a lot of guys, um, I I meet with a, a team of pastors here every two weeks and, we talked about this, this uh, uh, you know, new phenomena of connecting virtually, and, and a, a number of them were concerned that, uh, that, that we go, you know, that in, in, in the future as we continue with this, that we don't become too dependent on that because we're by nature made to be with each other. Yeah. And uh, early on, it's like, oh, what an opportunity. You know, this allowed us to develop our creative mm-hmm. juices and, and really be innovative. Uh, but I know one guy, he said he purposely did not put a lot of quality into it because 
he wanted <laughs> he wanted to make it frustrating for his people uh, so that they'd want to come back, you know. And yeah. um, and one of the things I've read and also observed is, in a, it, even anecdotally, I've heard friends of mine saying, you know, it's it's been convenient just staying at church because we get a quality service and we can stay in our pajamas, you know, yeah, uh, for church. So, uh, okay, so we, we've heard a lot. Uh, I did a blog recently, and I'll, I'll attach it to this, uh, to the web, this particular podcast, too. Uh, but but there's, there's been enough time for, you know, different research groups to evaluate what's going on with, with COVID, what it's doing to the church, what it's doing to believers. Um, you know, for example, Barna, uh, one in five churches will close. And, and of course, these are, these are just observations. I don't think they're researched, really. Um, one in three Christians will likely stop attending church already have, uh, Tom Rayner says a significant of pastors are going to quit post COVID. And that's where, uh, as I was sharing these things with our common friend, Brian, and that's where he said that, that you had been reflecting on this and, and, and burdened for it as a, as a leader. Um, what are you seeing and what are you hearing and, and what burdens you right now in light, in light of these possibilities yeah due to the nature of my role i work with the organizational leaders like uh we're working with barna glue glue is an organization that now is partnering um with barna to uh, provide technology and technological means for staying connected for Mm -hmm. uh, with church members with denominations with associations like ours with their churches or even connecting and understanding your community better. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that Barna and Glue have done in partnership along those lines has been absolutely amazing. And their research, the way they're able to do their research right now is pretty unprecedented. It's phenomenal. Uh, they've taken, they've taken a really good advantage of, of the things that are available to us. And they've utilized them uh, for helping churches and helping movements like ours. And uh, so while listen to them, there is a, a, a widespread discouragement out there. Um, one, of the, one of the things I think that is a, a big concern is that because of doing um, church services online, I, I'm one of those people that I'm, I'm kind of optimistic. And I'm like, well, just do both hands, you know, mm-hmm. don't do it anymore, don't do a, don't do a poorly done online service because you know you can do a good do a good one you know mm-hmm. help people enjoy it because they're home because they need to be at home um, so do it the best that you can and put energy toward it without making it an idol make it the make the best use out of the tool that you can and yet at the same and so I would also say and get ready to bring them back, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't let it become something. Keep messaging, you know, that the scriptures are clear that we are made to be in community. We can develop that theology out of the Trinity. We can develop that through our ecclesiology. Uh, we can really preach that and we can bear it out mm-hmm. uh, in just our, our study of culture and humanity. We can communicate well, use, kind of using both lanes, so to speak. The big fear that I'm hearing a lot of is that, um, I won't say the big fear, a big fear that I'm hearing a lot of is that this season has really, uh, on a negative side, 
contributed to the consumeristic mindset that is in the American church. Interesting. It's not a, so the, the fear is, is that we're just now producing services that people get to observe Mm -hmm. rather than uh, doing ministry where we actually come together to worship a holy God, to understand our, our responsibilities for one another and our responsibility to take the gospel to a broken and hurting world. We need to not let go of who we are called to be as the people of God. And as the people of God, surely we're called to more than just clicking the on button and getting my, my, my encouragement for the week mm-hmm. and my word for the week and then going on with the rest of my, my week on my own plan. But we're called to something better to be the people of God with others. And so there is a real concern for that. Uh, on the upside, I would say that there's some encouragement. People are, are continuing across the board financially the church has not been hit as negatively as some of us thought it would be. Mm. Uh, the idea, even from some very large churches, mega churches, uh, that, you know, they're about, you know, you've heard this saying, I don't even know where it started, but, you know, spin off of what was said back when uh, James Carville told Clinton, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got, you've got, uh, church growth people and large church pastors saying it's, it's about Sunday, stupid. You yeah. know, it's, well, it's about the gathering and that, and that everything was about getting people together. But even those large churches that put so much into the gathering, they have begun to really see that if we embrace this idea of house church, then the weaknesses that we're experiencing in our large gathering, meaning discipleship and depth mm-hmm. of uh, transformation and and the ability for people to get lost in our big Sunday gathering or a big weekend gathering. If we can get people together in those house churches or in those groups and homes, um, now we can start to recover something about life on life discipleship. And so I see those as some, you know, those that's a challenge or two. It's also... Uh, been good for us in some ways. Yeah, and, and I, I, one of the things I've thought reflected on a lot is that the the larger church, mega church, um, or even even just a large church, that um, there's there's high dependence on on, for lack of a better term, the 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 performance, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, the worship, the 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 ambiance. Uh, but now it's it's forced the guy to just be a, a messenger, you know, and and I'm I'm hoping I've not seen this because I don't. I don't watch a lot of, of people from, from mega churches. I've watched some, but um, you know, I'm hoping that it really forces them to say, man, I need to be, I, I need to be attractive because of the gospel. Uh, I we need to attract people to the message and, and I need to, I need, I need to be more committed to and not hide behind the, the smoke and mirrors, if it is, yeah. you know, if you will. Um, so I'm hoping that's one of the things that comes out of it, but I love, I love what you're, you're saying about that this forces people or encourages people to be in smaller groups today. Uh, and hopefully that the, you know, there's also that depth of teaching there, you know, that, uh, uh, that that's one of the things that might come out of this is, uh, is the training of elders. And, um, I've got a friend in Ohio who works in a, in a house church and, 
he invests everything into his leaders and, and, you know, assures that they are as, as deep as he is, which involves a, a lot of investment. So, uh, so hopefully we'll build on these things. You know, these could be, uh, these could be, as you said, positive things that, that come out of what we're going through. Yeah. Well, one of the, my, my daughter is a perfect example. She goes to a wonderful church down in West Palm beach, Florida, but it's a huge church. Mm-hmm. Well, throughout this season, they've had the quarantine, you know, or excuse me, not just quarantine, but close the, you know, the large gathering. Yeah. Mitch, my daughter loves that they've mm-hmm. been doing the home gatherings and the way they've been doing them. And she's like, it just seems really authentic. Yeah. <laughs> And it's life on life and like they're praying together and, the, you know, those, those personal things that often yeah. get lost in our, even medium such, or once a church gets past a couple of hundred, it's difficult, you know, it's yeah. difficult to maintain those, those kind of things that we really need for transformation. And, yeah. Uh, so now the so, opposite is true though. Uh, and, and probably the average churches that in, in, the EFCA would be under a couple hundred. Um, those that it would be harder for those churches to really uh, see, you know, capitalize on that that idea of small groups or house churches because you don't have the uh, the resources, the you know, the uh, even the critical mass to to do it. Um, this is a little bit off topic. I don't want to get off topic too much here, but what are you hearing from uh, pastors in terms of hey, we're we're going to meet regardless, you know? Um, this is, you know, this is where it, it becomes, you know, a discussion about biblical authority. Um, what, what are you hearing there? What's, what's the pulse? Yeah, I honestly, we don't hear a lot about it in the free church. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for that. Um, our, our pastors are, I think by and large, they are committed to the gospel above the government. And their allegiance is, is to God. Um, and yet at the same time, they, they're trying, I believe, to hold that tension mm-hmm. as well as they can with being good citizens of the land that we live in and to honor our governing, governing authorities. And so um, I know there has been some uh, when uh, John MacArthur and Grace Church uh, came out like they did in California with their strong statement. We were thinking, Oh boy, here we go. Uh, we're going to, we're going to have a lot of people, but really we didn't, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of that. And there are some, there's a lot of frustration. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah. And that, that goes across the spectrum, not just. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the frustrations, uh, it's, it's going to run out. Um, you know, you, you go from fr- frustrated to, uh, you know, um, in, insistence that we have to meet. And uh, of course, I think that's going to happen differently based on, on who's leading. And like in our case, the denomination kind of guides us on what to do. Uh, you know, but uh, I think the next several months will be really interesting. When we talked, we talked on the phone last week, you, you mentioned the uh, challenges from COVID uh, and there were four of them. Um, I, I wrote three, didn't remember the last one, but do you remember what those are? Cause I thought that was really rather captivating. I don't, th- I think, I think um, COVID has highlighted some challenges that were already there and not yeah. all of them are directly COVID challenges, but COVID itself has been a massive challenge. You know, it went from early on, you know, we're all scrambling to say, what are we going to do? 
How are we going to gear up to do stuff online? How are we going to provide pastoral care for people when we can't visit them? What if they get sick? We can't go to the hospitals. What about funerals, weddings, all these kind of things? Um, so COVID certainly all by itself did that. First, it was how do we shut down? When do we shut down? What do we do? Mm-hmm. But then, of course, it's the reopening. That has been a really interesting dynamic because um, obviously the issue has been politicized. Uh, you know, and depending on where you are in the country, there could be very few cases or it could be really spiked. Uh, and the narrative nationally seeps into what's going on locally. And uh, it just, it creates tension where there probably, or at least maybe should be, there shouldn't even be any. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the idea of coming back together is like, okay, when do we do it? And then how do we do it? Who's going to oversee it? Uh, you know, and all of a sudden your pastors have to be organizational leaders. They have to get teams together. Uh, like they have a worship team that leads worship. Now they have to have a, a health and human services team yeah, yeah. sanitized, mm-hmm. that there's proper distancing, that there's masks, that, the, that if we're sitting in pews, that some are blocked off, that there's adequate seating. I mean, the, the number of things and the frustrations there have been enormous. And the elder boards and the pastors sometimes are at odds. And that has been one. So just COVID regathering and all the issues that go along mm-hmm. with that has been all by itself extraordinarily huge. Yeah. stressful. So that's been huge. Attached to that, you also have uh, the financial tensions early on. Oh, gosh. You know, we're, some of us, myself included, thank God I was wrong. I was seeing mm-hmm. Like, we're all going to lose jobs. We're going to, you know, I mean, the fi- if this thing lasts for long at all, the fallout is going to come uh, and we're going to, like, we're going to have to chop ministries. We're going to have to chop staff. And, um, you know, and so pastors are starting to make those decisions or they were. The, the painful part to that is that a lot of our medium or larger churches have sustained just fine. I've even spoken to churches that have said their giving has gone up during this season. Um, it's amazing to me how that's happened, but the smaller churches, mm-hmm. the immigrant churches, the ethnic churches, the urban churches, uh, where there's a lot of cash that is going because you have people that are working, getting paid by the hour, yeah, uh, that come in and put cash in the plate rather than do online giving, many of them have been just terribly affected. Mm. Um, and and those are the churches that Barna anticipates might, might end up closing. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and quite a few already have as far as like having rented space, as far yeah. as having, um, you know, that that's tough. That yeah. is tough. So you got the finances, you've got COVID, you've got uh, not to mention since, especially since, uh, Ahmed Arbery, you know, mm-hmm. was shot, and then George Floyd, and then the whole Black Lives Matter movement, everything that has happened over the summer, the riots, the protests, that has become such a divisive issue within the church, and the, the, 
the the challenge here is not what would Jesus have us to do. It's that most people chose to not even ask that question once we got a few weeks into it. Because it seems like uh, it, that what happened was it went from saying it's about injustice and caring for these hurting people and wanting to do better to now it's about it's a it's about a cause that goes well beyond social justice it goes into a whole worldview and an agenda that is marxist that is anti-christian that is this and that the other and uh, and so if you if you you know you and i would both be able to say i think any christian could say black lives matter mm-hmm. with a clear conscience and if you can't say that, then in fact, I would question whether or not you really were a Christian because Christ was so clear that everyone is made in the image mm-hmm. of God. From the womb to the tomb, they matter. And every Christian should believe that and fight for that and fight for everyone in uh, that pursuit. However, of course, then you have the organization, which is stated, uh, has stated on their website and otherwise what their very anti-Christ convictions are or anti-Christian convictions are. And you're just like, so. Yeah. So when people bring up Black Lives Matter, you ask which one, (laughs) what what do you mean? Yeah. The truth. Yeah. And the, the call for the church to engage in social justice and to love people. Are you talking about the organization and what's happened, Mitch, sadly, is that it became uh, it became to where I think in our churches and especially highlighting through social media, mm-hmm. we have church members bombing one another, yeah. Yeah. Bombs, including elders and pastors, just hammering one another. So pastors, uh, I'll come back to that, but that whole, the racial tension is. Well, it, it, yeah, it's interesting to me that in the past, we, the church uh, collectively, uh, I mean, this is not a real thought-through comment. I, I might be wrong, but I, I feel like in the past when these issues have come up, uh, the church has not felt compelled to necessarily weigh in on it. It has yeah. stayed. Not, this is this is bad to put it this way, but we've stayed in our lane. You yeah. know, kept with the gospel, focused on right. the the other kingdom. Uh, you know, the the return of Christ and. It's intriguing to me that suddenly now, and this is happening in our denomination, and I, and I think uh, pe- people from our denomination are accustomed to me being very critical of us because uh, mm-hmm. I, I am one of us. Yeah. Uh, but but I, think, I think we reacted emotionally, and, mm-hmm. um, and we, we almost, it, you know, it's the, it's, it's the subtle equivalent to people standing around uh, diners and saying, say her name, say her name, or say Black Lives Matter. In some way, the church has been, you know, almost forced to make a statement or, I mean, even, even uh, our local church here, there was, and, and I didn't look too deeply into this, but a week or two after all this was blowing up, there was a, a, a plaque, a ceremony in town uh, to put up a plaque on a building that had to do with all of this. And I thought, did they think, did the elders sit down and think of the, you know, about the theology of this? Did they think about the messaging? Did they think about the implications, where this is heading, uh, what it says about us? Uh, so hopefully out of this, there will be some some deep thinking uh, theologically and and maybe bring us back to some 
healthy place and all of this. But, uh, but yeah, it's been bizarre. It's been, it's been really, it's been really difficult for our pastors. And, and I would say really sad because yeah. there's, because within this conversation, there's, it's proven that there's almost no room for nuance and conversation. Yeah. People don't listen to one another. They just throw their opinions and, and that's just not the way Jesus would have us to operate. Yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah. We, have, we don't have a good theology on, uh, on, on conflict of how, and, and maybe, maybe it's because we've had it too easy for so many decades that we yeah. never were really prepared yeah. for this. I would say there's yeah. probably truth to that. We're, yeah. we've had a lot of, yeah, we've had, we've had a lot of ease when it comes to these things. And that yeah. us into that, you asked me about four things. I would just say it really just kind of, I can say that quickly, that pushes us into, it went from a, something we should be able to talk about and, you know, be clear on to, it became just like COVID did political. Mm-hmm. So as yeah. soon as it goes from the church owning the conversation and owning that we have the truth of the word of God and we have the heart of the Lord, um, you know, we have so much to draw from and offer to the world and we haven't. And so now because we haven't and we haven't been clear on these things, now everything's politicized. And now here we are again. Now within our churches, we're in a political season. And I mean, what in the world do I need to say about this political yeah. season? I, I'm not yeah. even going to <laughs> Yeah, that could be another podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and so I would just say that because of all these things, our pastors honestly have felt like I've talked to pastors that have been in ministry 30, 40 years. And Mitch, they've said to me, I've never lived at a time where if I said what seemed to me like just a simple statement about right yeah. and wrong, half my people are going to be mad at me. Yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and even the, I mean, are they, are they saying that relative to the gospel as well, to their uh, preaching the gospel? And, or is that, it's can, more. If they, well, the thing is, if they don't, if they don't speak to some of these issues, mm-hmm. it's because they're Pollyanna or because they're cowardly. Mm-hmm. Or it's uh, once again because we just don't have to. Yeah, you know, we just don't have to. In many of our churches, we are uh, a movement where we we have about they say now about twenty three percent of our churches would be multicultural or ethnic. Um, but here's what I would say to you: um, the challenge is we just find ourselves in a place where the older white church in America just hasn't had to roll up our sleeves and get really honest about where we're right and where we're wrong and what we need to do to change. We've had the luxury of standing by and being onlookers. And so what happened consequentially is that now we've lost the voice of authority in too many cases with this. And so that makes it difficult to either speak or to not speak now. So either way, we're, it's tough. Yeah, just reflecting biblically, I, I had two passages that I, I was reflecting on. The one where Christ says he will build his church. And I think we need to remind the pastor who is discouraged, who is either thinking about quitting or, or burdened by what is happening in his church, that this is, this is Christ's church. It, it belongs to him. Uh, we are his servants. We're carrying out his mission yeah. And uh, and he's committed to it, so we we don't need to give up. 
the other one, I'm, you know, curious on your reflection on this, um, you know, because people have been talking about how, you know, the, the research on number of people no longer attending church and, uh, and even people that because of that are going to be disengaged from the gospel and disengaged from one another, disengaged from evangelism, apologetics. I mean, the, the implications of this, are, I think, are huge. Uh, but Luke 18, verse 8, uh, I tell you, he will see that they get justice. Uh, interesting word there. And quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yeah. Um, what Reflect on that just for a, a minute or so. Yeah, I, I think the challenge right now um, is, is not will he find faith uh, for the American church. It's, to me, uh, what does faith really look like? It's good. What does faith really look like to the American church? Does faith look um, passive and benign? Uh, is it active? Meaning, is it is it just personal and is it your personal thing and kind of your faith is between you and God and that's your truth? Or does faith mean I'm 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 created with a purpose. I'm created to be a part of a people with a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God in word and in truth mm. uh, and in action with all of my deeds. Um, as Paul writes in the New Testament, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Mm. And so I, I think the issue is, will he find faith? If he's looking for it, it's got to be more than just, oh, it's in my heart. It's a private mm -hmm. thing. No, that means it, it reveals itself. It reveals itself in loving, obedient action. And, and uh, you know, the, this independent approach to faith <clears throat> also explains the isolation, you know, the, how easy it's been for people to uh, continue living out their faith in isolation. Um, yeah, I have this theory. I talked about this with someone the other day that the reason why I think a lot of people have not, I, we might have talked about this, that they're not, a lot of people are not going back to church is because it, it works. Um, I, I still feel close to God. Um, I'm not falling into sin. Uh, I, I, my husband and I are reading the Bible together. The kids have church together. This works, you know, yeah. uh, our, this faith works, this way of doing faith works, of doing church works. Yeah. Uh, but I love your, your statement about, you know, that this is a, a, a corporate thing. It's being part of the body of Christ and being reminded that this body, uh, the, was re the bride was redeemed by Christ. We were in a mess. We were lost and he redeemed us and to make us his own. And, and man, that makes me want to be part of others, you know. Yeah. Um, just one, one thought, um, uh, pastors need fellowship with other pastors. Um, have you seen that make a difference in the lives of those that, that you're interacting with? And are you encouraging people to, to do that? Yeah, I would just say that's been one of the most encouraging things to Good. me is that I see more pastors hungry for that. Yeah, and I, think I probably ever have. Yeah, we've seen, we've seen that here too. Yeah, I meet the the five guys I meet with. They they're all there at the restaurant, you know, and we talk about different subjects related to uh, you know your own life relative to ministry. Um, what is the best way lay people 
uh, can be supportive of their pastor right now? Uh, I would I would say there's a few things. Number one, pray for your pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, pray for your pastor, and don't just pray for your pa- your your senior pastor. Pray for your staff. Pray for the leaders that are there, your elders. Mm-hmm. Yes. Elders. Pray for their families. Mm-hmm. Pray for their families. So number one, pray. Number two, I would say bless them. Uh, tangible. Find out some tangible way to say thank you that in this crazy difficult season. Mm-hmm. We continue to persistently try to help other people. Like, because the thing to realize is that your pastor and their family, they're going through everything everyone else has gone through. And yet they're on the offense trying to yeah. get out there to find ways to say, we love you. We care for you. Yeah. Our it's a pastor, unique burden for sure. Yeah. Oh, it's a significant, they're sharing the burdens of their community. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, bless them. What, and for you, whether that's like buying them a cup of coffee, giving them a Starbucks gift card, whether it's baking them a cake, uh, you know, a quarantine cake or whatever it may be. Uh, but don't just do it for the leaders. Again, do it for the families. Remember that the families uh, are important. If you love the family of the pastor, you love your pastor. Mm, I love it. I love it. Yeah, you love your pastor. And last thing I would just say is uh, – engage, engage uh, thoroughly online, uh, in person, engage thoroughly, and do it from a heart of Christ. Mm. Uh, Do it. Remember that everything you do uh, is to be done. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, you know, don't be gossiping. Don't, I'm gonna give you Mm. the editorial version summarized here. Do away with the rough talk. Do away with gossiping the grumbling, the complaining. There's too much of that. Speak what is good for edification, mm. which is for building up. Do that. Do that with your pastor, with your leaders, but do it with others. Be different on social media. Be, be the one that speak truth, but do it in love. Mm-hmm. Listen to others. Engage uh, in a way that would honor Christ. If you yeah. do those things, you're helping the body, which is ultimately the end uh, calling of the pastor, which is to love the people of God. Yeah, so I love that. that. That's really helpful. Uh, well, any any final thoughts as we wrap up here? No, I would just would say you, Mitch, for uh, what you're doing with uh, encouraging pastors, encouraging leaders. Thank you. Uh, thanks for what you're doing because it's it's. Uh, probably one of the neediest seasons that any of us are yeah. ever going to see. Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's a real burden to me to, to be hearing what pastors are going through. And, um, and if, you know, people are listening to this, reach out to, uh, to, to us, your pastors, if you feel like they need a, a supporting hand from the outside, you know, someone like, like me, the Fruitful Vine Ministry, the ministry we're doing to yeah. help support pastors, um, you know, please, please take advantage of that. Well, Andy, you did, did a great job um, articulating these things. We covered a lot in a short period of time. And uh, I, really, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Well, thank you for inviting me, Mitch. I appreciate it. Stuff you are us. so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And I'd encourage you also to go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, 
and uh, you'll find a lot of podcasts and blogs that I've uh, put out there. And uh, recommend this to your pastor, your church leader. I'd be really encouraged if you would do that. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. And I always end with this, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.